Father, by your Spirit, now I pray that you would draw our gaze away from ourselves and to Jesus alone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, um, have you all seen Stranger Things on Netflix? Yeah, I'm, I'm sensing a lot of uh, activity out there. So I know it's popular. Um, it's caused me to download lots of 80s music on my iPhone. Um, yeah. Well, it's without a doubt uh, one of my favorite shows. Uh, probably, you know, that I've seen uh, in a while. Um, Stranger Things takes the cake hands down. It's so 80s-tastic, got a lot of throwback. Uh, it has a lot of playfulness since it follows kids around. Um, and it has a slight sense of creepiness. Um, it, you know, if, if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend that you cancel your Sunday night plans and go binge watch it this evening. Uh, if you haven't watched it, though, fret not. I'm not going to give away any spoilers. Um, but for those of you who have seen it, I want you to just picture in your mind how the show presents life and death. Two worlds colliding. Life over here, and for those of you who have seen it, the upside down over here. Life and death. Or have you seen The Walking Dead at all? Um, I know most of you probably realize that's a, that's a popular show that's been on for uh, several years now. Uh, it's a show, of course, about zombies and a zombie apocalypse, and there's a group of people still living in and around the Atlanta area. Um, and they're trying to stay alive and to, to keep away from the zombies. Well, there's one particular scene that just sticks in my mind. I think it's when they're at the prison in season two or season three, and one of the characters uh, is inside the fence, and he's looking outside the fence, and directly on the other side is a zombie. Uh, right, so you have life on the one hand and death on the other. So, life versus death. And I think this imagery is powerful and helpful for us as we enter into tonight's passage from First Timothy. 1 Timothy 6 is assigned to me by the lectionary and Matt Schneider, and I have to be honest, I now know why he has assigned it to me, so he can relax, because 1 Timothy 6, let's face it, is not low-hanging fruit for the preacher. Um, if you were paying attention, uh, it's kind of tough. Uh, it can maybe come across a bit boring or irrelevant, maybe, um, or even a bit burdensome, as it's giving instruction on what to do with wealth. But if you were paying attention, at the very end of the passage in verse 19, Paul says something. And so I want us to press into that a little bit more and see what's going on here, because I think it's pretty powerful for us. He says, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That which is truly life, right? Life versus death. So the passage comes to us this evening and presents us with this question. Where is the source of your life? And so in that question, where is the source of your life? I think we can begin to dig in a bit and see the relevance of 1 Timothy 6 for our day. What makes the passage so difficult for us on the surface is because 1 Timothy was written from Paul to Timothy, from one church leader to another, and it's so highly uh, contextualized that it's kind of difficult to enter in. But when we 
press in with this question, where is the source of life? I think we can begin to see what's going on here. Because whatever the specific circumstances, Paul is trying to get Timothy to wrestle with as a church leader, what does it mean to be the church in a society that is not shaped by the gospel? What does it mean to be the church of Jesus Christ in a world that is not shaped by the gospel? So, for, for us here, what does it mean to be the church of Jesus Christ, the Advent, in increasingly post-Christian Birmingham, in a society that is no longer increasingly shaped by the gospel? And we have to be honest here, the culture wars that we've experienced in the U.S., you have people over here on the right, the religious right, and you have people over here on the left. And doesn't matter which way you go, both have put Jesus in the back seat, and Jesus now becomes a supporting actor in my life movie. But regardless of the, the situation, um, the source of life has been pushed to the back. And when the source of life, Jesus Christ, is pushed to the back, we wither. Now, last week after, uh, after the service and at the dinner, I shared with some of you um, that we need to begin to realize as the church that we're entering this period that is much like the early church 2,000 years ago. We are increasingly in a society that was once shaped by the gospel and is no longer shaped by that story. Now, then just this week, just after I shared that with you, a recent uh, or, or the most recent Time magazine issue came in the mail to my house. And there was a fascinating article by an agnostic lady. The title of it is My Life as a Nun, Nun, N-O-N-E, not N-U-N. My Life as a Nun and Other Tales from the Ranks of the Unaffiliated and the Agnostic. Here's what she writes. People like me are on the rise. The nuns, those who are not affiliated with any religion or are agnostic or just plain atheist, are now almost a quarter of the population, says a recent study out of Duke University. There are 19 million more nuns now than there were in 2007. And at 56 million strong, there are more Americans who are unaffiliated with religion than there are Catholics and mainline Protestants, according to a 2015 Pew Research report. Fewer than half of young adults ages 18 to 30 are sure God exists. In a few years, the largest religion in the U.S. will be none. And just off the top of my mind, uh, just this past week, I encountered a podcast that you can find in the podcast app. I think it's called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. It's made by these couple of atheists who have left religion behind, but are still looking for some meaning in life. And so now they have begun to turn to Harry Potter uh, as a religious text. So it's pretty fascinating. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Well, all of this says to me, I mean, wow. I mean, it's sobering for us in the church. And so for us in the church at the Advent, we must ask again with Paul, what does it mean to be the church in increasingly post-Christian Birmingham? What hath Jerusalem to do with Athens? What hath the Advent to do with Birmingham, Alabama? Well, quite simply, we must face up to the fact of who our identity is, what, what our identity is, who we are. 
And so we must be the place where the story of the triune God is told over and over and over again. That means we will know who we are and what makes us who we are. We will know the source of our life. We will know that we are not just another charitable society giving out, you know, giving out charities. We're not merely seeking to do good. We're not a social club. And we're not just some sort of religious organization that's trying to give us inner peace. No, we are the community that gathers around the gospel, the good news that the God of Israel has raised his servant, Jesus, from the dead. We are a community that gathers around God's possibility and not our possibility. We will know that which is truly life is in God himself, the triune God who is three persons united in love. We will know he is the one who has entered history in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who was sacrificed in our place and who now lives to triumph. And now the spirit that was upon Jesus, he is now completing his work. This is where our life is found in God's possibility. And we know apart from God's intervention on our behalf, we lie in the upside down. If you've seen Stranger Things. We lie on the other side of the fence where nothing but zombies apart from God's intervention on our behalf. Nothing that we could do, nothing that we could bring to the table, not our riches, not our good works, but only God who is life and love in and of himself. He is the source of our life. Adventers, this letter brings to our attention here and now. It says to us, hope in God, look away from yourselves and from any created thing and look to him who is the source of life. And as this society around us becomes increasingly complex and increasingly different from uh, from the Christian narrative, have hope in God because God has conquered death and he has raised his servant Jesus from the dead. The Spirit would have us again using these scriptures to look away from ourselves. This is what we see sprinkled throughout the passage that James just read for us. Verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 3, Concerning the false teachers, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he understands nothing. Or verse 12, scripture would have us press into the source of life, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. And what is that eternal life? Well, surely it has to do with what's in verse 13. The God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who made the good confession. John Calvin summarizes this passage so well. He says the amount of the whole is that turning our gaze from the world, we should learn to look at God alone. It is in the triune God who is life and love in and of himself. He is where we find our hope, our life. Adventers, the source of your life is not in anything that you could do. It's not in your Episcopalian identity, your memorization of the liturgy, your Bible knowledge, and it is not in your wealth if you are wealthy. However poor or rich you may be in this life, the source 
of your life is in God Himself. Apart from Him, you and I are in the upside down. You and I are nothing but zombies, walking dead men. And so since we have heard this radically, drastically new news, because we're the community that gathers around that news, we realize that we um, were exiles in a foreign land. Over and against the distant God that Americans like to talk about, we know that this God has entered into history and He is taking our story somewhere where we will be His people and He will be our God. And once we know that we are self, not self-made, that we find our life in and of Him, in the God outside of us, then we can, just as God gave of Himself for us, then we can give up on ourselves and give richly to the neighbor. This is what Paul says to Timothy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Not because you need to earn extra points. Not because you need to check off some spiritual box. But because you are a new and living creature in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be alive. Just as God in Christ showed immeasurable kindness to you, now you go show immeasurable kindness to others. Amen.